Hey everyone, this is Mike Jordan-Lasky, and I'm excited to be sharing this special episode with you today. One of the new pandemic phrases that has become ubiquitous over the past four months is essential workers. There's been a movement to thank and support these members of our community who are making our lives possible, from medical personnel to workers in the food supply chain and so many more. Hopefully, these feelings of goodwill might also lead to more concrete supports. Some essential workers who haven't been in the headlines as much are those who are also immigrants, people who are trying to enter the United States or those who are already here working. My colleague at the Jesuit Conference, Caitlin Marie Ward, talked to some of these workers and we're grateful to be able to share some of their stories with you here on AMDG. This episode is part of the Solidarity Across Borders campaign sponsored by the Jesuit Migration Network of Central and North America. And the show today was produced by Megan Leipsch. Okay, here's Caitlin Marie. Benito's dreams for the future are simple. He wants to live in a stable and peaceful country and to use his training in medicine to help others. As a doctor in Cuba, 34-year-old Benito faced persecution and threats. He decided to flee to the U.S. and apply for asylum here. His dream of practicing medicine sustained Benito as he made the arduous journey through Nicaragua, Honduras, Guatemala, and Mexico. Along the way, he was attacked and robbed multiple times. When Benito finally arrived at the U.S.-Mexico border, it was closed to all non-essential travel due to a CDC order. Seeking asylum is not considered essential travel. As of May 2020, over 43,000 migrants have been turned away as a result of the order, meaning many asylum seekers like Benito can't even request asylum right now. Benito is stuck in Mexico with no idea when the border will open. The border shutdown has been extended indefinitely, or until coronavirus is no longer considered a threat to public health. Many migration advocates say the border closing isn't about public health, though. They argue the policy's true goal is to prevent people like Benito from seeking asylum. My dream is to be able to settle down in a peaceful country where there is freedom of expression and democracy, where I can provide affordable care to all and contribute, and also to be able, as soon as possible, to bring my family here to be with me. Amid the coronavirus pandemic, health professionals are essential and in short supply. Someone with Benito's skills and passion for medicine should be welcomed, but without authorization to work in either Mexico or the U.S., Benito cannot practice medicine, a loss for him and for our strained healthcare system. On both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border, migrants like Benito are in limbo. They've come to the U.S. seeking safety and a chance at a better life. However, recent policies have created a culture of hostility rather than hospitality towards migrants, despite the fact that many migrants play essential roles in our society and our economy. My name is Caitlin Marie Ward. I'm the Senior Advisor on Migration at the Jesuit Conference Office of Justice and Ecology. For this special episode of AMDG, I talked with migrant essential workers amid the coronavirus pandemic. They work and apply their skills across the U.S. and Mexico in healthcare, agriculture, and other essential industries. Listening to their stories, I was struck by their incredible sacrifice, courage, and endurance. At times, these jobs are grueling and thankless, and many migrant essential workers have little social support. Isolated from their families and government assistance, they find support in Jesuit social ministries and parishes. 
One such ministry is the Kino Border Initiative, which provides essential humanitarian support to migrants on the U.S.-Mexico border. KBI straddles Nogales, Mexico and Nogales, Arizona, and advocates for just migration policies in the U.S. and Mexico. I spoke to Joanna Williams, Director of Education and Advocacy for the Kino Border Initiative. She worked with Benito to provide him with shelter and resources while he waited for the border to open. Benito, like many other men, women, and children here in Nogales, Mexico, fled persecution in his community, but he hasn't even had the chance to begin the asylum process in the United States, to start the the process of seeking protection and legal recognition in the U.S. because of the circumstances that he fled from. Since March 20th, the U.S.-Mexico border has been closed to what's known as, or what's called, non-essential travel. When in fact, the act of fleeing for one's life, the act of seeking protection from safety, is one of the most essential acts that a human being can undertake. And Benito and so many others who are here on the Mexican side of the U.S.-Mexico border urgently need access to that protection and that asylum in the United States. For Benito, this limbo is frustrating. Stuck in northern Mexico, he's vulnerable to drug traffickers and cartel violence. And he can't practice medicine either. I feel a bit sad over being unable to practice the profession I love. But it is just a phase of life that I have had to go through. In all the places I've been, despite not being anywhere near a clinic or a healthcare facility, I've been able to help many migrants along the way who are suffering from illnesses. I brought medicines with me and I've been able to provide people with some guidance and help in whatever way I can those who otherwise would never be able to seek medical assistance from a clinic or other healthcare facility. Where I am now, there's a malnourished boy who is infected with intestinal parasites. Since we met, his family has had no money to take him to a clinic, so we treated him for the parasites and malnutrition. And today, we see the boy is free of parasites and is gaining weight. And so, in a way, God has allowed us to bless a few people with the things we know how to do. In this public health crisis, the U.S. can't afford to turn away qualified medical professionals. According to the Association of American Medical Colleges, the U.S. could face a shortage of up to 122,000 physicians by the year 2023. Migrants like Benito could help prevent that shortage. Despite his frustration, he's still grateful for the community and support of KBI. We've been traveling for four months before we finally arrived here in Nogales. Upon arrival, we were connected with Kino Border Initiative, which has extended a helping hand to us. We felt that it's been our oasis in the middle of the desert. We've been tremendously blessed by them. We arrived with no money, no clothing, hungry, and with no food. And they've been like our own mother's arms who have received us given us footwear, clothing, they've given us food, and personal hygiene products. We are so grateful to God and to all these wonderful people who have in their hearts a willingness to help immigrants and contribute to a cause that most of the world prefers not to have anything to do with. Most people would rather marginalize and forget about us. But we are human beings too, and sometimes we need help. We will be forever grateful for the assistance we have received.
Even before coronavirus, applying for asylum was a lengthy and challenging legal process. Unlike refugees, asylum seekers request protection at the border or once inside the U.S. However, in order to receive that protection, they often must endure long administrative procedures to prove that they were persecuted or fear persecution on account of their race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a social group. The process can take years. Due to court backlogs, the wait for an immigration hearing in the U.S. is on average 721 days. And even after all that waiting, most asylum applications are denied. According to the Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse at Syracuse University, only 35% of asylum applications were granted. Fredis, a young Honduran asylum seeker, is one of the lucky ones. After nine months in detention and three more months of waiting outside detention, he was granted asylum. But the process was a harrowing ordeal, he says. Fredis fled Honduras in April of 2017 after receiving death threats from gang members. He arrived at the doorsteps of KBI a month later and applied for asylum at the Nogales border. Instead of receiving protection and services from the U.S. government, he was taken into ICE custody and transferred to a detention center two and a half hours from the border. Well, in Honduras, I never had any problems with the police. I've never been arrested or anything like that. So for me, it was very strange. Once I entered the U.S., I was detained. They shackled me at the wrists and ankles. I felt as if I were a fugitive. In between eating, sleeping, and watching television, the only real activities available to detainees, Fredis was put to work cleaning, preparing meals, and doing the laundry. He was paid $1 a day. My first job was to clean the dormitories. I got a dollar for that. That was my first job. My second job was in the kitchen. I had to get up at 3 a.m. and finished in the afternoon. If memory serves me, we finished sometime after lunch. I got a dollar for that also. My third job was laundry duty. Again, I woke up at 5 a.m. I don't remember every detail, but I think I got up around 5 a.m. and I didn't finish until the afternoon. Through KBI and the Florence Immigrant and Refugee Rights Project, Fredis found a lawyer willing to represent him. Only 14% of detained immigrants have an attorney, according to the Immigration Justice Campaign. After nine months in detention, Fredis was released, and in June of 2018, he was granted asylum. Now he can live and work in the U.S. and hopefully one day earn his green card. Someday he hopes to bring his two young sons to live with him. Fredis works in construction, maintaining electrical systems and commercial buildings. While coronavirus has caused a drop in new construction projects, Fredis still works two to three 10-hour shifts a day. He protects himself by wearing goggles, gloves, and a mask while on the job. But the prospect of catching the virus is frightening, especially since he doesn't have medical insurance. To be honest, I didn't budget for that. It's hard to admit, but I don't know what I'd do. I guess I'd do the normal thing and take time off to go to the hospital. Then I'd have to pay. I still have my family in Honduras that I have to continue supporting. Life in Honduras is hard right now. If you don't work, you don't eat. Sure, I thought about the risks at first, 
but sometimes you just don't have any other choice. Through all his struggles, Freddy's has held tight to his faith. Now he's a valued community member of Holy Trinity Parish in Washington, D.C. He hardly has words to describe the numerous ways the parish has helped him settle into his new life. Oh, wow. In so many ways. They have supported me quite a bit. They provided financial support as well as friendship. To be honest, I feel so grateful to them. As time passes, sometimes you feel lonely, but you're not alone. God is always there. He always helps you. Thank God He put Holy Trinity in my path. They have helped me so much. Honestly, I feel so proud of that parish. I believe in God, and God knows what He's doing. Us immigrants, we came here for a purpose. God gave us the opportunity to be in this country. My advice is God has the final word. Due to coronavirus, international travel has ground to a halt. One exception is the H-2A guest worker program. The H-2A visa grants foreign nationals temporary entry into the United States to work in agriculture. Most guest workers are from Mexico and Central America. To learn more about how the virus is impacting H-2A workers, we spoke with Hugo Susano, Rogelio Hernandez, and Ramiro Alberto Cruz three young men from the small town of Huayacocotla in the Mexican state of Veracruz. They work at Stemelt Ag Services in Wenatchee, Washington. Stemelt is one of the nation's largest fruit producers. Every year, the company hires around 2,000 workers to plant and harvest its approximately 9,000 acres of apple, pear, cherry, and stone fruit orchards. The work is arduous. Rogelio describes a typical day working in the orchards. Well, on a normal day, we wake up at 5 a.m. and at about 20 minutes to 6, we have to get in the vans to take us to work. We start working at about 6 in the morning. We work a total of 8 hours and get half an hour for lunch. Despite the grueling schedule, the men can't afford to miss out on an opportunity to work and earn money legally in the United States. Stemelt pays its workers around $15.80 an hour, somewhere between two and three times the daily minimum wage in Mexico. As Ramiro explains, they have no choice but to migrate to support their families. We have to risk it. The truth is we need to earn every cent we can to support our family. Although the farm is located in a rural area, the close living and working conditions of Stemelt workers heightens their risk of infection. Despite several precautionary measures put in place by the farm, the virus has managed to infiltrate the fields and packing plants at Stemelt. News reports claim that at least 25 out of 60 workers at a specialty fruit packing line and more than half of the group of 71 fruit tree workers tested positive for the virus, although none were hospitalized. Even with safety measures in place, guest worker communities could become future hotspots for outbreaks. Although they play a crucial role in keeping us all fed, guest workers are often a forgotten and overlooked population. When asked if he could deliver one message to the North Americans eating the food he picks, Rogelio said, 
that they value our work because we came here at great risk. We put ourselves at risk due to the virus out there, which affects us too. I just want them to value the work of all Mexicans. Claudia wakes up at four in the morning. By six, she's at work, harvesting produce. She works nine-hour shifts year-round. She receives two breaks and a 30-minute lunch. For over 20 years, Claudia has planted and harvested the produce bought in grocery stores across America. Year after year, she toils away in the shadows. Claudia is undocumented. Without comprehensive immigration reform, it's unlikely she will ever receive permanent status. Yet, America's very survival depends on the work she has done in the last two decades. The pandemic has only brought greater awareness to the essential skills of agricultural workers. But Claudia wants more than recognition for the risks she faces. I want to tell you that it's urgent. It's urgent that there be amnesty. We have a right to that. Like I said, we are working, moving the country forward, and we deserve respect. And we deserve amnesty soon. Despite living in the United States for decades and having U.S. citizen children, there is no easy process for undocumented migrants like Claudia to achieve permanent status. Fear of deportation hangs over her and her family like a dark cloud. That's why she advocates for amnesty and a process to provide status to undocumented migrants. The agricultural sector employs a large proportion of the 11 million undocumented immigrants living in the United States. According to the U.S. Department of Labor, just over half of the farm workers in the United States are unauthorized. At the end of March, Congress passed the CARES Act to help families cope with the economic downturn caused by the coronavirus pandemic. One of the benefits provided through this legislation included stimulus payments to qualifying individuals and families, but only to those who filed taxes with a social security number. As an undocumented person, Claudia doesn't have a social security number. Though her children have U.S. citizenship, her family does not qualify for relief. They have received nothing. Our children, who were born here in the United States, don't have any help from the money they're giving out to people as a result of the crisis that's happening right now. Nevertheless, we, as undocumented people, pay taxes. We pay everything we have to pay here. They take money out of every paycheck we receive. However, the government doesn't see all that. But I think we are the ones who are here moving the country ahead without taking anything from anyone, simply by our own effort. Claudia's words struck a chord with me. What does it mean to move the country ahead together? So much of our national discourse and policy seems to be focused on moving ahead without people like Claudia. And yet, we can't look to the future without migrants. Not only because they work in essential industries, but because they are essential to the spirit and fabric of our country. As part of the Jesuit network, I work with Jesuit ministries and advocacy organizations. People who not only support migrants, but who live in community with them. 
It may sound simple, but this commitment to community, to working in solidarity with the marginalized, is powerful. Across the Americas, regardless of migration status, we are one community, and only in community can we move forward. Many thanks to Holy Trinity Parish, the Kino Border Initiative, and Father Alfredo Zepeda, and his colleagues at Radio Huayacocotla for conducting and sharing their interviews of some of the people featured in this episode. This episode is part of the campaign Solidarity Across Borders and is brought to you by the Campaign for Hospitality and the Jesuit Migration Network of Central and North America. To learn more about the people featured in this podcast and about how to get involved with our campaign, visit www.jesuits.org migration. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Dara Sump, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Mike Jordan Lasky. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. 